Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Bruce, thank you so much for joining me here today. I love that we have these conversations on a weekly basis for the most part and really being able to dig into the root of helping people to understand how to be in control of their financial situation and really bring awareness to the the things that they need to know so they can make the best financial decisions for themselves. So today we are digging into again the 7702 changes and really what that means for life insurance and specifically for infinite banking going forward in the future as these new products are rolling out. And this is a continuation of a previous conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago on the same topic, and we didn't get a chance to cover everything and also wanted to talk about some questions that arose as a result of that last show. So Bruce, thank you so much for being with me to have this discussion today. Yeah, sure. These, uh, you know, the seventy-seven hundred two uh, change is is fairly significant, uh, especially in the death benefit side. Which, you know, if, if you're somebody that values the death benefit like I do, I think it's um, it, it's a uh, it's a loss for the, uh, the the consumer. However, if you have the proper strategy. You can make up for that loss by designing policies with a combination of different strategies. But uh, I think most of the people that are watching the channel are asking more about the cash value and so on and so forth. So we'll dig into a little bit of that. It's really good. And if you are listening, whether live or after the fact, I just want to thank you for being part of our tribe, for continuing to further your knowledge and education, specifically around the idea of infinite banking and how to make it work most effectively for you, or really how to step into that strategy, not how to make it work. I guess that's not not the right language, really how to use the strategy to its fullest capacity to help you accomplish your financial goals. And so that's what this episode is all about. And we just thank you for continuing to grow your knowledge. So Bruce, um, do you want to start first uh, by giving a little bit of a recap of what we discussed last time and then um, and then maybe jump into the spreadsheet and talking about the history of dividends and what we expect going forward and then we can cover some of the questions we got on the last show. Yeah, one of the one of the main advantages of whole life insurance is that there are specific guarantees and because of the extended time period, of the Federal Reserve holding down interest rates for 12 years now, uh, there were some necessary changes that needed to be made made by the insurance industry that would allow them to be successful into the future. Now, what's interesting about this whole thing is um, the guarantees have, have gone down in most, well, I shouldn't say most products, in all products, and most of them have gone down from a 4% to a 2% guarantee. Now, this has always been something that's hard for people to wrap their heads around because they think that their cash value should be growing by 
uh, 4% or 2% or whatever the guaranteed is, guarantee is. But that's a gross number. And when I say that, I, I mean is they're, they're giving you, a in this case, a 2% guarantee, but then they're taking out the fees to run the company and also the fees that are the most significant in your policy, and that is the cost of, of the life insurance or what they call COI, cost of insurance. The great thing about whole life insurance uh, over every other product is that the cost of insurance is spread out through the entire, your entire life. So the actuaries can actually project very, very easily uh, what the cost of the insurance is going to be all the way out to age 121. And then they smooth that out through the, the time period. Now, guarantees in whole life are, are very comforting. But they're because of the strength of insurance companies and because of the history, um, the companies that we work with, uh, anywhere from 115 to 175 years, have always paid dividends. So then you have to ask yourself, well, are the, are the guarantees really realistic? Well, they're, we know they're going to happen, but that's not the only return that you're going to get in your particular policy. Mm-hmm. And if the Death benefit, the future death benefit, which if you listen to the last show, the cash value is the net present value of the future death benefit. So the actuaries are saying, okay, at this age, if you get this amount of cash value, it will grow to equal the death benefit by age 121. That's why they're so confident that they can uh, actually fulfill all these guarantees. And so if you pull down the death benefit, then that simply means that the insurance company net or future value, not the net present value, but the future value of the, of the death benefit is a lot less. So they have a lot less liabilities on them. So if they have a lot less liability, they should be able to, to maintain the current dividend uh, de- declaration or dividend rate. So in the past, the dividend is made up of the guaranteed plus any of the net profits from the insurance company. Let me say that again. The dividend is made up of the guaranteed plus any of the net profits of the insurance company. So if in the, in the past, if it, let's just say it's a 6% dividend, in the past, if it was 4%, then anything on top of that was actually a 2% net profit of the company to equal 6% gross dividend. Now, I still believe that if it's a 6% declaration, the 2% will still be there, but because they have lesser future liabilities in the form of smaller death benefits, they're still going to be able to play close to that 6% dividend, if not increase it as interest rates go up. I think this was really uh, interesting to me to begin to understand that if they're making a reduction in the guaranteed interest rate growth of your policy, that does not necessarily mean that they're reducing the declared dividend rate. And so what, what they're doing is reducing the guaranteed portion of the total declared dividend. And we see that it looks like they're going to maintain the total declared dividend rate 
just changing the distribution of or changing the proportion of how much of that total declared dividend is a guaranteed block of interest and how much is the non-guaranteed dividend portion. And so really what that ultimately looks like is that we don't expect a lot of change in the total growth rate of your cash value, even though the guaranteed growth rate is lessening. Is that I would say that I would say it is true if interest rates don't move at all. That is true. Okay. Uh, but if interest rates move, which I, I believe everybody believes they're going to move. Now there's some contrarian views of that that I've been studying the last week or two that says, well, interest rates can't move that much because if they move, then our debt is going to crush us. But what what we're where we're trying to convey in this particular um, podcast is if if the 30-year treasury goes from and that and at the time of this it's somewhere around 2%. 30-year treasury is somewhere around 2%. And it goes to 3%. A lot of people would say, well, that's not really moving that much. So how can that make a difference? But once again, as our good friend Todd Lankford has proven over and over, that's not a 1% increase. Mm -hmm. That's a 50% increase of two. Mm -hmm. Because one because is 50% of two. Yes. If you parse so, out that logic, yes. So even a 1% movement in interest rates uh, should then give greater returns on the bond portfolio. And this was reinforced by one of the chief investment officers of one of the companies that we use that I had dinner with. When, and I asked him, I said, we actually saw this in the 80s and 90s as interest rates came down, bond values went up and dividends went up. And I think we're going to talk about that in a 12-year period. Uh, they actually went up about 280%. The cash value actually went up. And I said, but in a increasing interest rate environment, bond values are going to go down. So which one would the insurance company prefer? And without hesitation, he said, we would always prefer a rising interest rate environment that will help dividends even more. And his, his rationale for that was that insurance companies will hold bonds to maturity. So they're really not seeing a, a negative yield or disc, what they call discount on the par value of the bond because they don't have to sell it. That's only a real loss when you sell it. And they have multiple cash coming in every month to buy new bonds at the higher interest rate. So he was very adamant about that any move in interest rates going forward would actually be beneficial in the dividend returns. I think that is a fascinating idea. And I know we've discussed this multiple times before, but the connection between interest rates and bond prices, bond rates, 
and dividends is a very fascinating one. And Bruce, do you think is now a good time for me to show that chart? Sure. For historical purposes. Okay. So what I want to do is I'm going to pull that up and hope that I'm sharing it correctly. And then I will have you talk through what we're looking at on this chart. Sure. And as Rachel does this, you know, we're, we're not guaranteeing that um, dividends are going to go up. We're just showing you historically that, and this is one of the big things that Rachel and I have been trying to talk about in this podcast for years is illustrations are not contracts. They are simply snapshots in time. The one thing we know from our experience is that illustrations are not going to pan out the way they say they're going to pan out. Mm-hmm. So when a person looks at an illustration and says, oh, I'm comparing X company with Y company. Oh, I'm going to go with Y company because they have a better return. Their, that return is only a projection. They're projecting at what's called the current declared dividend rate of 100% of that that current declared dividend rate. Matter of fact, one of the companies that we used uh, over the last four years, because they did ratchet down interest rates very early in the process, they started uh, raising interest rates. So the some of the policies we did just three or four years ago have already seen an improvement in dividends because the declared dividend rate has actually gone up with this particular company, where a lot of other companies have actually ratcheted them down only in the last couple of years. So uh, as you can see- Meaning, uh, just for somebody who's maybe not as familiar, what, what Bruce is saying is on the illustration, at the time that you put the policy in force, they project what they expect dividends are going to do for the rest of time based on today's environment. And so that's where it's just a projection. It's a, it's a snapshot in time. But when right. you actually live out that policy and you get into the reality of living year five and six and seven and eight, those years are going to have a different actual dividend applied to your policy than what was projected on your illustration because you're now living out time and you're walking it out instead of just expecting or, or projecting the future. Correct. And um, this one was from 12 years in the early 80s. And you can see on the first three years, if we go from, uh, we have to skip the guarantee cash value because that is with no dividends. So if we go to the, to the cash dividends, which is right there. And that's without the paid up additions. If you go to the cash, you can see that the first three years, you see that the first three years, they illustrate it or project it. You're talking about here, right? This amount, correct. And then the actual dividends were, were exactly what they illustrated. But if you know anything about that time period from 81 through 83, President Ronald Reagan, he actually uh, influenced the Fed chair to bring down interest rates artificially. And what happened there is now the bonds that were bought 
in an earlier time period became more valuable because if you had a 9% bond and now you can only go on the open market and buy a 7% bond, and I'm just making these numbers up um, to illustrate this, now a person could sell their 9% bond to somebody else at a premium to get that yield of 9%. Well, that is more money into the coffers of the insurance companies. They did the same thing. When that, ha- when that started to happen, you can see in 1984, the actual dividends all the way through 93 actually were a lot greater all the way to 19, uh, 1988. You can see that the 1988 was actually, well, actually, that's before then. It was, uh, well, that's a right at 100% difference. But before that, it was actually more than 100% difference. And then they kept going up at about 100% on the, on the uh, cash dividend on the base until we hit it 1993, where it's right at, right at 100%, a little more than 100%. However, if you go and add, if you go and add the paid-up additions with the next column, you can see that you do increase the cash value by even more. So you're looking at the total cash value column, not just the dividend column, right? You're looking at the last column here? The actual column, actually, I was talking about. And as you you combine those two, as we uh, have them stack on top of each other, that the insurance company compounds the dividends on top of that. So now you can see at the very bottom in 1993, they illustrated 195,847. But what the cash value was just after 12 years later was 252,887. So if we subtract that from 195,847, then divide it by the projection. That is a 29% increase over what was projected over that time period. So you had 25 or 29% more than what was projected. Now this works in both directions. So some people that bought whole life insurance policies in 2007 and then saw the financial crisis. Uh, their policies have not performed as well, and they and their actual dividends were potentially lower on certain companies. But and what was projected on the illustration? Then what was projected on the illustration? So that's why we always say the illustrations are simply snapshots in time. What's most important in all this is not looking at what the illustration is going to do for you and think it's gospel. Mm -hmm. What the most important thing is, is to get started on your alternative to a bank so that you're storing capital so that you can take advantage of the stored capital to then do something else with it in the future. Whether that, whether that is to, you know, start a business, whether that is to pay your house off, 
and redirect the money, whether that is to buy your cars so you don't lose the interest that you have been sending to banks, mm-hmm. whether it is to fund other investments. What is important is not the illustration, but to actually get started. I've said this on the podcast before. We've had literally dozens of clients over the years say, I wish I would have started this sooner. And Nelson In, used to always, Nelson Nash used to always, yeah. Nelson Nash used to always say that, that the most important time to plant a tree was 70 years ago, but the second most important time to plant a tree is today. Because you don't want to be 10 years down the road and keep saying, well, I, w- I should have started this 10 years ago. I should have done this. Because the, these things are going to perform. Just, just at what, at what uh, rate will they perform? And the rate of return is not as important as just accumulating capital. That is the most important thing. Your, your capital is going to lay somewhere. So it may as well lay in a place that you can get tax-free returns and other benefits, such as a death benefit. Bruce, are you finished with this illustration? Yes. Or not? I let me uh, take off my word. This image—it's not an illustration. Right. It shows illustrative values and actual values. You know, Bruce. Two really, really interesting things. Um, as you were talking, I was realizing, and I, I would like to run this past you in live real time. And usually this is something I do beforehand, but I was kind of having the thought as you were sharing in a rising, okay. In a, in a lowering dividend, sorry, a, a lowering, lessening, shrinking interest rate environment, like we just showed on the illustration. It seems to me that the growth is more so coming from the ability for the insurance company to sell basically their bonds that have appreciated in value because the the interest rates going down the bond is appreciated in value it's kind of like if you're in real estate you said well the i mean it's opposite of real estate in a way but the interest rates coming down therefore i can sell for the current holdings that I have for a higher rate and I recoup the appreciation. And so they're driving growth of the policies based on appreciation of their current assets. Correct. Then what I'm hearing is that when we're in a rising interest rate environment, which we expect or can, um, for the foreseeable future, expect to see, at that point, now the growth of the dividends within the life insurance company is more so coming from the long-term holdings or like the cash flow rather than selling appreciated assets. Would that be a fair comparison? That is fair. Yeah, that's very fair. And and I don't anticipate from all my research and talking to different people, I don't I do think inflation is going to go up. Um, and I do believe that the Fed will inch interest rates up, but they cannot, they cannot raise them too much because our debt would then be too bad in the United States to pay. So then there's only one other way to handle this, and that would be to raise taxes. So then you have to say to yourself, what is one of the best ways then to 
position yourself so that you can take advantage of that. Well, that would be to have some of your money uh, stored in a place that grows, but it grows tax free. And so either way, if you think if you think interest rates are going to go down, then uh, it, this place to store money, I don't think is going to go down very much more um, on the dividend side because we've been at, at close to zero interest rates for 12 years and the insurance companies have performed fine. The If they're going to go down, then you'd want to store your money at some place where uh, the government, if it goes, if if the, uh, I'm sorry, if the uh, interest rates go down so that they can do their debt, uh, service their debts, then you have a place to store money that is sheltered from taxes. Mm -hmm. And it's also a place then you have the store to get other investments. Mm -hmm. If interest rates go up, well, then you're going to say, well, that is means that, yes, you're going to get greater returns in your life insurance dividends, but you're going to probably play higher taxes. So in each strategy, um, it's simply not an investment. It's just simply a place to warehouse your money uh, for the next place you're going to deploy your money. Whether that, heck, with business owners, a lot of them uh, tap our cash value for their income taxes um, mm-hmm. every year, their quarterly taxes. Which those income taxes are not on their life insurance growth, but those income taxes are on all of your other revenue streams in your business Correct. and personal Correct. life. Correct. You know, just to share from personal experience, and many of our listeners have heard me talk about the history of where... Lucas and I were storing capital because we all need to store capital somewhere. We were storing it in gold and silver back in the 2008 timeframe. And we stored quite a bit of capital. And we realized then when we needed it most, we started a business and we thought, now we need to use our capital to generate cash flow. We were in a situation where it wasn't very liquid and it had lost about half of its value. Plus we had to pay a premium to sell it and we were in a situation that that had not been an ideal store of cash. So looking at the, the big picture landscape, we realized the need for liquidity and the need for a safe place to store that cash that we could access and use along the way. And that's really what we're talking about for business owners, especially as you are needing capital to invest back in the business. Maybe you want to expand a product line. You want to do a marketing campaign. You're acquiring uh, another business, maybe within the supply chain so that you can control the entire um, supply chain of that industry. And you're in a position where expansion in the business requires capital and you need that capital to be accessible for you. And also from personal, um, just sharing from our personal side of things, my husband, Lucas, and I are about to start another whole life insurance policy. And even though there are these changes right now with the lowering of the guaranteed growth rates or the guaranteed interest in the policy, we are looking at using the new policies because we believe that that still is a good way for us to grow 
capital and store capital. So we're not in a rush right now to say we have to get in before the products change. We actually are in fact using the new products because we're looking as at this product as a long-term store of cash, a generational wealth builder, and a way to have a death benefit as well that will end up paying out to our heirs in the future. So I'm hopeful and excited, not just about the current new policy that we're putting in place, but for the next policy that we're already looking forward to uh, placing as well within the next few months. So that's just a little bit from my personal side. I love, Bruce, that you're talking about tax advantages. And just for somebody who maybe is not as familiar with whole life insurance, can you just briefly, just real in a compact way, share what is the tax advantage of using whole life insurance as a place to store cash? Well, uh, dividends and interest within a, a whole life contract are not taxable according to tax uh, law 7702. Um, up to the cost basis, and cost basis is simply how much money you put into the life insurance policy. Once you go past the cost basis, and that's only if you—that's only if you if you take them out as a distribution. Mm-hmm. If you take them out a loan, the loans are never taxable. And so, what uh, demonstration that Nelson did for us one think tank. Uh, when he was about 86, uh, when he started drawing some of his uh, retirement, and that's, and I'm using retirement very loosely because Nelson really never retired. He just kind of slowed down. When he started drawing some of his um, distributions for retirement, he did up to his cost basis in some of, in some of his really old policies that he had taken out in the in the fifties and where he was only maybe putting in $25 a month. And so then eventually they got to where they were um, up to where, what he had put in. So the cost basis. And he said at that time, he just simply called the company and said, from now on, I don't want to do withdrawal. I wanted to actually take it out as a loan. And this is where, um, this is where people get kind of, uh, kind of, go, they go crazy. Like, I don't want to have a loan. I don't want to have a loan, you know? And this is not a loan like a unsecured loan that you would have for your car or your credit card. This is a leveraged up loan. So you've put X amount of premium dollars in and your death benefit, depending on your age or gender and your habits, is going to be 10 times, 12 times even six times, you know, if you're older, greater than what you put in. So even if you have a loan, even if the loan's growing upon your death, they simply will pay the loan off with the death benefit and there will still be significant death benefit left for your heirs. So it's, it's not the same kind of loan that people think about when they think about it in, the, in their daily lives. Yes. And also when that death benefit pays out, that is income tax free to your heirs as well. So you're getting tremendous tax advantage. You're also getting the ability to borrow capital and have that cash value continue to grow uninterrupted with dividends and interest continuing to compound even when you have a loan against the policy, which gives you a tremendous benefit because you're being the bank 
and you're stepping into this role of controlling capital, which then gives you the power to not only pay interest, you're also earning interest. So all of that being said, I think we've covered a lot of ground here. We have approximately 10 minutes until we need to wrap the show completely and have a hard stop there. So I want to cover a few of the questions that we had on our last episode that we discussed the 7702 changes and some are questions, some are comments. I'll just kind of take them from the top. Is that that okay with you, Bruce? Sure. Okay. So um, one person called named Lucky Charms in the, on YouTube said, have you seen IUL illustrations where the catch value catches up to the money you put in before 10 years? If so, what company, Bruce, I'll let you go ahead and take that. Uh, Short answer is yes, but it's an illustration. It's just what they're illustrating. And frankly, IULs, and I've I've sold IULs and I will continue to sell IULs for the proper for the proper strategy, but infinite banking is not one of them. And also you also have to have the ability to bring more capital to the table than what you're illustrating. Why? Because they are illustrating these most most companies now are illustrating these at 5.45 uninterrupted. Um, index crediting for that time period. And we all know that the, the stock market doesn't do that uninterrupted. And it's not an average. You can go back and look at some of our other shows about um, average versus um, actual. But uh, the short answer is, yes, I've seen it. Do I believe it's going to happen? No. Just like whole life is not going to perform. The difference is the IUL has other charges that can really eat into the um, cash value. They are the cost of insurance is one-year renewable term, so it's going to go up every year. And there's also fees to buy the options um, within the policy so that they can uh, make sure that you never lose money but only gain money. If those are sustained, if we have a a sustained years with um, the stock market index not performing the way that they thought it was going to perform, then those options are going to become more expensive. And they have the right per contract to raise those fees. And so that's why we don't use it for for infinite banking. And then also in specific companies, we don't usually discuss publicly uh, on YouTube, the or on any live platform, when we're talking with an individual person about the strategies that work for them, we will look at the correct companies, life insurance companies, to be able to use the strategy most effectively for that person's personal needs. Um, also, let's um, go go here. Denzel Napoleon Rodriguez said a client can now put in more cash for the same amount of death benefit and. Yes, that is true with the new products. Yeah, and, De- and Denzel understands the products very, very well. Uh, unfortunately, Den- or fortunately, whichever way, Denzel is young. Most young people don't value the death benefit. Um, yes, this is, a, this, is, this is a true statement, but a person that wants more death benefit, you're going to need to work around strategies to actually do that. Some people actually see this as a negative because people can't have as great a death benefit. With that particular whole life insurance policy, and which that does mean that ultimately, if you're looking at insuring for full human life value, 
you're going to need to be considering additional term life insurance as well. And that's almost always the case, but we want to be in a position where you're valuing the death benefit and you are creating the opportunity to recover everything that you would have made in your life and provide that amount of capital to your family and loved ones if something were to happen to you, or I should say when. Um, all right, this was just a, com a comment here. AJ Rodriguez said, thanks for this succinct approach to understanding the changes. Bruce, I think that was one of the best descriptions for cash value I've come across. This channel has a knack for making connections in my thinking. I appreciate the time and effort you put into providing this. Thank you, AJ, for sharing those thoughts, and I appreciate you listening. Yeah, AJ's always one of, uh, he's always got great comments, and mm -hmm. uh, we do appreciate him a lot. Um, and I'm glad that he, he, he found the description of the cash value to be helpful. Excellent. Yes. Thank you. And then we have L. Henry. Can we still use the PUA method with newer MEC rules? And how long do I have to get involved or lock in on the higher return rates? Or am I too late? The rates were four to 6% from what I saw, but now they're changing. Can I still do the IBC with these changes on the horizon? I think this is one of the most important questions. Uh, so Bruce, let's just see how much we can um, well, yeah, the, share on this. Yeah. I mean, we don't represent every company, but I, you know, I, have access to well i have access to every company but i i've chosen only to focus on about 10 or 12 and then we only use about three consistently for a variety of reasons but yeah the p there's no there's no change in the pua method um people that are getting you know hung up on these rates of return um really shouldn't be hung up on the rates of return um and to answer his question, can you still get in? Yeah, there's a couple of companies I think that are not going to put put uh, this in until January 1st. Many of the companies have already switched over because January 1st is the, you have to switch over by January 1st, but many of them started before this. So yeah, there there's a few companies that you could still, but you only have maybe six weeks to get this all. And I just don't, I just don't know if it's worth it other than the death benefit. Um, what do you mean so, by that, Bruce? You don't know if what's worth well, it. I don't know if it's worth trying to rush and get it done. Yes, uh, that's what I thought you meant. I just wanted to at clarify. The, at the end of the, by the end of the year, just, just so you can get into the guaranteed rates, because as we said earlier, I don't think the guarantee rates are going to affect the overall di uh, dividend rates. I just believe that the guarantee rate is helping the insurance companies with their long-term liabilities. I think one thing that's really important about this is that you will hear and see a lot of noise from people specifically in this time of transition that are capitalizing on fear and scarcity and saying, if you don't get started right now, you're going to miss an opportunity window. And right. the challenge with that is no infinite banking is not going away. There's been changes to the financial landscape and the economy as a whole so many times since the beginning of life insurance companies until now, and infinite banking still works. The strategy of maximizing the cash value in a whole life insurance policy using paid up additions, using it as a place to store cash, that concept is not going anywhere. And we will dip and sway and will change as needed. But what 
I mean by that is that there might need to be a small tweak on policy design. There might need to be, uh, you might need to fund a, a policy with more premium than you had thought of originally or less premium and supplement with a term policy. There are always strategies. We will find ways to best provide you with the guidance and the direction to maximize your money and do the most with it. Life insurance companies will continue providing products that benefit you and allow you to store capital and create that legacy. And life insurance, infinite banking is just as strong today and will continue to be strong in the future. Bruce, it's about the top of our our time here. Um, We had one more question here. This was from Johnny saying, if you already have a convertible term policy, when converting portions of that policy into whole life, must it convert to the new product or would someone be grandfathered into the old? The short answer is no. I don't know any company that's going to grandfather it in. And the reason that they cannot grandfather it in is the actuaries cannot possibly price that in because they don't know what the future um, products might be or the future interest rate environments might may be. So all convertible term is uh, converted at the products that the life insurance company has at that given time. That's a short answer. I'm glad we had time to cover these. This is great. So if you are worried about the 7702 changes, if you are wondering what is going to happen with the landscape of infinite banking and being able to use whole life products, I hope this answers your questions. I would love to hear your thoughts on this show and your questions for just how to use infinite banking best, how to maximize your financial control the best, how to be in the best position, not only for yourself to create time and money freedom in your own lifetime, but to pass on a legacy that your kids can continue to build upon in future generations. We'd love to hear your questions about any of these things. You can do two things. One, well, you can do lots of things, but here's the, here's the great options for getting answers to those questions. First, you can subscribe to the channel. Specifically, if you're on YouTube, please subscribe. This helps you to see more of the content that we are creating and be able to get the answers you need. You can comment below this video and ask us your questions. You can also comment or ask a question by emailing us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com. We'd be happy to address your question on a future episode as well. Or you can directly book a call with our advisors. And you can do that by going to themoneyadvantage.com right on the homepage, there's a button that you can click to access our calendar and schedule your first conversation. And this is just a chance to get to know you and find out if we are a good fit in working together, if our philosophies align, and if we can help you accomplish your goals, we will be very clear with you that yes, we can, or no, we cannot. And so this is a risk-free opportunity to have a conversation and really explore what your next best steps are. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Thank you again for being with us on this podcast. And Bruce, before I close us out completely, is there anything that you would like to share? Uh, No. I mean, it just gets down to, once again, there's always been changes in the industry. The most important thing is action. So that's about it. Excellent. Take that action. In closing, remember, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. 
Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.